We are currently still in our series. This is week five out of six. And our series is Real World 101. And we have tackled some big issues in this series. It has been very encouraging to my heart to walk through this, very challenging and very convicting. But if you'll remember in this series, we've talked about a number of things. Growing up, becoming an adult, taking on this responsibility. Uh, We've talked about the working world, your first full-time job. We've talked about how to save a friendship. We've talked about conflict resolution. Uh, Last week, Deco, praise the Lord, the Lord spoke through him in a major way, talking about our finances and talking about money. And this series at its core has been one for you and I to walk together through God's word on what it means to be a responsible, godly adult in America in 2023. And it's been really cool to hear the stories that have come out of this. We have had people give their lives to the Lord during this series. Praise God for that. Let's make some noise. Praise the Lord. We've had people give their lives to him during this series. We've had people have breakthroughs in their job, breakthroughs in their degree, breakthroughs in their calling. We've had people really hear some answered prayers from the Lord in this series. It sparked really good conversations in our groups on Thursday nights. It sparked really good conversations amongst each one of us and really good conversations for me and my staff with you guys. So praise the Lord for how he's using this series. And I have big prayers for tonight and for next week. So in this series, let me tell you where we are tonight. So the title, I want you to write this down. The title is this, The Regrets You Don't Want 10 Years From Now. The Regrets You Don't Want 10 Years From Now. As we look at week five, with it being Thanksgiving week, I thought it was very fitting to talk about thankfulness and to talk about family. And so in this What I want to do is I want to give you, biblically, three regrets you don't want to have when you turn 30. Three things to avoid in your 20s. And what I want to do, if you have your Bibles, I hope you'll get as excited with me as you can. We do this every week. Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 39 tonight. Amen. Come on. Come on. Psalm 39. The truth is nobody wants to have regrets In sports, I come from a coaching background, as many of you know, with basketball. There's a saying, especially in football, to leave it all on the field, to leave it all on the court, to leave it all in the game. And there's a reason why that saying is branded. It's in commercials. It's certainly in Gatorade commercials. There's a reason why it's such a famous saying, leave it all on the field, because once you step off the field, sometimes there's no getting back on it. Right? Sometimes that can be you're done with that game. There's no do-overs. There's no redos. And sometimes, for some of you seniors who played high school football or high school volleyball or high school basketball, you know that when you stepped off for the last time, you haven't really stepped back on that court as an official athlete since. So even in sports, there comes a retirement unless you play golf. So for all of us, the great saying by some of the best athletes is to leave it all on the field. Why? What that saying really means is to not have any regrets. Is that if you finish a game or you finish a sports career and you look back and you realize you didn't really give it every single thing you had, that's probably the number one regret an athlete can have, is that they didn't leave it all on the field. It's popular. It's been around for years. The truth of that applies to our biblical lives as well, especially in your 20s. See, in your 20s, this is a time where a lot of people tell you in your life that it's a time to make mistakes. And that's absolutely true. (laughs) But you never grow out of mistakes. You'll make mistakes for the rest of your life. Your 20s are a time for you to grow, but not just grow as an individual, not just grow as a leader. That's very short-sighted. But to grow closer to Christ and to grow as a disciple of Christ. 
to draw near to him and to become more like him in your 20s. None of us, when we turn 30, want to have spiritual regrets. It's one thing to regret something with your career. It's one thing to regret something with sports. But it's a whole other thing to look back on your 20s and think that you missed it with God. There's something that I heard one time. I think it's very good. I don't, I don't remember if I put it on the screen or not. But it says, don't let the choices you make in your 20s be the regrets you have in your 30s. Don't let the choices you make in your 20s be the regrets you have in your 30s. You and I have one life. We have one chance to live it for the Lord. I heard someone say that the best way to present, prevent yourself from ever having regrets is to be thankful. To be thankful for every moment that you can. And this is such great news in light of Thanksgiving this week. That to be thankful for every moment we can. That you will never regret a moment that you chose to be thankful. You'll regret moments where you chose to not trust God with your future. But you will never regret trusting God with your present. There's a lot of people who wake up and say, man, I wish I hadn't been so stressed and anxious throughout college. A lot of them are my age now. They look back on college as a season of anxiety and worry and fear. And they say, man, I wish I had been more thankful for the season I was in. But you never hear anybody say, man, I wish I wasn't as thankful for the season I was in. You never hear anybody regret thankfulness. In fact, tonight I'm going to challenge and exhort you too that the great overcomer in our faith to overcome having regrets might just be to be thankful. Not just thankful for the future we have in Christ, but to be thankful for the present that we have. If you can be thankful for today, you can trust him for tomorrow. You will always regret the time you take your loved ones for granted, but you will never regret the times that you encourage and love your loved ones. When you think about your childhood and the moments that you had with your parents, you think about the memories you made, not the stuff they bought you. You think about the moments they encouraged you. And maybe for some of us, we think about the moments we were able to encourage them. I believe tonight what I'm going to challenge you to is that oftentimes in our 20s, our worst decision making happens when we feel either entitled to something or discontent with something. And hear me. I think some of the decisions we regret the most come when we feel like we are owed something that God hasn't given us or that we're not grateful for what he has given us. And that's a lot of time we have regrets. So tonight, I do pray, as you head into Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about family tonight. That might step on your toes, but I'm only going to tell you what the Bible says. That as you head into this week, a week where you have to choose between turkey or ham, or if you don't, you have both, praise the Lord. A week where you have to choose how you're going to act around your parents. A week where you're going to choose how to act around your siblings. A week where you have to choose how to act around extended family, which can be crazy sometimes. They're in my bloodline too. A week where you have to choose as you go home, wherever that is for you, whether that's good or bad or positive or negative or Christ-centered or not Christ-like at all, as you head back this week, I do pray that you will keep eternity in mind and be thankful for what you have. As we do this, what I want to do is I want to look to Psalm 39. Now, in Psalm 39, it's an incredible psalm of David where he gives us an incredible window into his thinking about his life. These are philosophical verses. These are theological verses about how God views the existence that he's given us in this world. Now, mind you, eternity is far greater than just this small dash that we have on this earth. However, 
even as great as eternity is to God, he still chooses to tell us that this is the day he's made, rejoice in it. And I think that's an amazing thing about the character of God, that not only does he have eternity in his hand, he is still caring enough to care about your day and my day. (laughs) That God, who's outside of all of time, time bows down to God, God does not bow down to time, that God is outside of time and holds time, that still he would tell you this very moment on a Monday night when it's raining outside matters. We are to hold eternity as our hope and our goal Yet be thankful for the day that we have before us. Because what we do today will always impact eternity. Can I get an amen tonight? The decisions you and I make are impacting eternity. And you and I have a chance to bring others with us into heaven (laughs) as we share the gospel with them. So this sheds light into David's view on his life, but not just his life, how God views your life and mine. It's an amazing text. Look with me. And then we're going to jump into three regrets to avoid this Thanksgiving week. Psalm 39, we're going to start in verse 4. David says this. He says, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you have made my days just inches long, and my lifespan is as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. A person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain. They gather possessions without knowing who will get them. And then verse 7, I love this. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Let's pray, and then we're going to talk about these three regrets. Father, we love you. Lord, allow us tonight to be right where our feet are. Allow our minds not to drift to exams or even to the days ahead quite yet, but to focus right where you have placed us. Lord, I pray, as you have done in the last few weeks, that anybody in here who doesn't have a personal relationship with you would give their lives to you tonight. And Lord, I do pray that your word will not return void, that you would call each one of us up to a higher level of obedience to you in the sense that we would take the gospel to our families and we would take the gospel to our loved ones. Lord, I pray for any of us in here, which is many of us who may have come in here tonight with a posture that is not thankful for you or what we have, that, Lord, you would break that. That we would walk out of here thankful. Thankful for the legs we have we walk on. Thankful for the voice we have we speak with. Lord, that you would give us a spirit of thankfulness that we would break free from any entitlement. That we would break free from discontentment. So Lord, I pray that you would speak every word now that you would do in our hearts whatever it is that you would desire to do tonight. We love you, Lord. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Let's dive into these. Let me give you regret number one. Regret regret number one is this. I didn't give God everything I had. I didn't give God everything I had. Possibly the number one regret, and we're going to get that G fixed, so it's a capitalized capitalized God as well. Only word in there that doesn't need to be lowercase. We're going to get that fixed so we're not preaching heresy. (laughs) I didn't give God everything. There it is. Let's make some noise. Praise the Lord. There it is. That was not sitting well with my stomach, man. My stomach turned to that. I was like, we got to fix this. Uh, The number one regret is I didn't give God everything I had. If you're not a believer in here tonight, if you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. Praise the Lord that you're here. You're welcome to be here. But I want to tell you, when I was 21 and not following Christ, my life was not pleasing to God, and it was not beneficial for me in any way, shape, or form. 
When I was living as an atheist, not believing in God in any way, my life was all about me and my pleasures and what I could gain. It was not about the Lord and what he had given me. There was no reason for me to be thankful to anybody else except me and what I gave myself. When I was lost, I was thankful to myself for gifts and talents that I couldn't give myself. When I was lost, I was thankful to myself for opportunities in my life that I couldn't create for me. I was thankful for doors I had opened that I never could have opened. See, everything we have is a gift from above down to us from the Lord who loves us and loves you and knows you. And as I read over these verses, I've studied these verses all week with David, and he talks so clearly about how, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. It is very clear that David in this moment is pursuing the heart of God. And we know King David, who had his sin, had his downfalls, had his, had his mistakes before him. It's all over Scripture. It does not paint him as something he's not. But it does describe David as a man after God's own heart. And I want to tell you that very clearly tonight, the number one regret you will have when you turn 30 and look back over your 20s will be whether you truly pursued the heart of God or not. That will be the number one thing you look back on is the success meter for your 20s. It will not be the money you, you pull in to the bank. It will not be the fame. It will not be the social media platform. I mean, you could get canceled tomorrow. Your account could get deleted and hacked in a week. It will not be a social media platform. It won't be the achievements and the accomplishments. No, at the end of it, when you get to 30, and you're old as dirt, as some say, your life's over at that point, right? No more fun after that. What the success will be will be what you did in your relationship with Christ. It'll be if you really, truly pursued the Lord. Now, hear me. Let me tell you, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about pursuing religion. There's many people in our world that pursue religion and still end up empty, hopeless, hurt, no value, no sense of self-worth, no sense of identity, because a religion can't give you that. A religion cannot give you a sense of worth. It can give you rules and traditions, but the only thing that can truly give you a sense of self-worth, where you stand on a foundation that isn't rocked by what your family says this Thanksgiving season, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my fear for us, even in the South, that we would go through our 20s, Pursuing religion and even, dare I say, pursuing ministry, but not pursuing the heart of God. Every time we go to Binghampton and every time we go to the Sin Relief Center, we, pass, we partner with a, a guy named Pastor Sean. He's about, he looks like he's seven foot two. He's probably actually six six. And he, every time, whether we're painting a wall or whether we're cleaning up the highway or whether we're feeding people who don't have food, he tells us the same thing. We're not truly here to paint a wall. We're not truly here just to clean up the streets. We're here to pursue the heart of God. Man, I want to ask you, in your life right now, are you pursuing the heart of God or are you pursuing everything else? And this ain't an answer you turn into me. And believe me, as you ask yourself that question, you are the best liar to yourself. There is nobody that speaks your language like you and me. There's nobody who speaks my own flesh's language like I do. I've sat in sermons where Brother Steve has challenged me if I'm pursuing God or if I'm pursuing ministry results, and I've sat there and said, that's for somebody else. It's not for me. And as quick as a knife pierces through, it hit my heart. The Lord said, no, that's for you, not for your neighbor. That even the calling from God should not be placed above the character of God. We're not pursued. We're not called to pursue more of what God wants us to do. We're called to pursue, first and foremost, who he is. 
You and I won't even be able to be obedient to what he's called us to do if we don't know who he is. It's amazing in your 20s and even in your 30s, it's so easy to forget this, that if you really want to know what God's calling you to do, if you pursue his character, you're going to line more up with his heart and you're just going to start naturally doing the things that Jesus would do and all of a sudden you find yourself in your calling. But for some reason, we have a lot of 20-year-olds, and you say, Daniel, how do you know this? Is this a survey? No, it's because I'm in conversations and counseling sessions every single week. We have dozens and dozens and dozens of college students, guy and girl, who are 18 to 25, 26, 27 years old, and they have no idea what they want to do with their life. And they say, man, I just want God to tell me what I'm called to do. I just want God to tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I think the biggest gap we have in that, the reason why we don't know is because we're not truly pursuing the heart and the character of God. See, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't be anxious about anything. I said, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means when you pray to him about his will or your job or your career or who you're going to marry, when you pray to him about these big things and he doesn't give you an answer immediately out of the gate, that scripture still promises peace. The peace of God does not just come when you get an answer from God about what you want to know. The peace of God comes when you get the God you're praying to. When the best thing you have out of that is his presence, not an answer. That he would desire us more to pursue his heart than an assignment. Because if we're not pursuing his heart, we won't be faithful with the assignment he gives us anyway. And I'm telling you, the number one thing in your 20s to focus on is pursuing the heart of God. I, I, I have the privilege of doing this for eight years now. When I got into college ministry here, the people I was ministering to who were seniors were 22, 23 at the time. You can do the math. Some of them are older than me now. Some of them are 30 and 31. And as I have conversations with them around the hallways of Bellevue, they talk about their college season. They either talk about it with a smile or they talk about it with their head down. And every single time, whether they talk about it with a smile or with their head down, it all goes back to what they did with their relationship with the Lord during that season. <laughs> Hear me. Like, you will have so much peace at the end of your 20s if you look back and are able to say, man, I didn't bow down to worry. I bowed down to Jesus and trusted him. I didn't bow down to fear. I bowed down to Jesus and I trusted him. I didn't bow down to wanting an answer from God. I was happy pursuing the presence of God. And every day I pursued the presence of God in his time and in his way, he revealed to me the answers I so desperately wanted. But man, those answers sometimes take a long time for God to give, don't they? What are we supposed to do with that? Here's what David says, that to God, our days are inches long, that our lifespan is nothing to God who holds all of eternity. For some of you, man, God is knocking on the, the door of your heart, asking to be let back in so that he can have intimacy and closeness with you this Thanksgiving season. And let me be real. This is real world one-on-one. This week, you're going to get asked a lot about your relationship status. We all know it's coming. Aunts and uncles ask us if we're dating. That's the number one question we always get asked is relationship status. And as you get asked that question over and over and over, think back to your relationship with the Lord 
and ask yourself, am I at peace with where I am with the Lord, not another person? As you get asked this week questions about your career and what you're doing with your life, ask yourself, am I at peace with the Lord? Then I can be at peace overall. Some of you are so close to really selling out for the Lord, there's just this one thing you can't seem to get rid of. I've been there. There's that one thing that just kind of holds on to you. It's in your mind right now. I don't know what it is, and I'll never pretend like I do. But in your mind, you know the one thing, whether it be a sin or a fear or a worry or insecurity or something that you're still holding on to that your mom and dad said or something that somebody said to you, there's usually one thing at the least that we're holding on to, one aspect of our life we just won't trust God with. And we think it doesn't matter because it's that one thing, and yet it's the one thing that keeps us from really deeply digging in with the Lord. The minute you start getting really close to God, the devil starts bringing that to your mind, and you come back again because you don't want to get that close to God because you know what he's going to say about that one thing in your heart. I heard about a story of a man who was very, very wealthy. A pastor went to visit two sons who lost their dad. He died because of an illness. I read this story, and he went to, I wrote it down because I didn't want to mess it up. He went to a church member's home to check on the family, two grieving sons. And they were a very wealthy family, and the dad had just passed away. I mean, a ton of wealth. When he pulled up to the house, the pastor's breath was taken away at the house he was pulling up to. You can imagine giant white house, lawn that was taken care of. You had these incredible gardens all over the house. I mean, it was a picture-perfect home. And he walks inside, the furniture is huge, the chandelier is shining. I mean, it's a massive house. And he sits down with the two sons to prepare the funeral plans. And even though the house was in perfect presentation, there were yellow sticky notes all over the house to the point where you couldn't miss them. As soon as he walked in the door, it's just yellow sticky notes everywhere in his house. The only thing out of place was the sticky notes all over. He sits down with the two sons and he asks them what they were all about. This is what the son said. They said, each one of them are scripture. Our dad wanted them written everywhere. He wanted to be surrounded by the word of God as he knew that he was dying. Their dad just days before had died a slow death due to sickness. So he knew because of his illness that he was going to pass away. And when he was met with the reality of his death, when he was met with the reality that this illness was going to take his life, he started asking questions he never asked in his 20s or 30s, or 40s, or 50s, or 60s. He started asking questions about eternity. See, man, praise God that you and I are in a place tonight where you and I get to talk about eternity. He never had any conversations about eternity until the end of his life because of this illness. And at the very end of his life, he gives his life to Jesus. Knowing that his end is coming, he chooses to trust Jesus as his Savior. This is what happens next. This is so good. The pastor asked the two sons how their dad used their final days. This is what they said. Our dad shared the gospel with everybody. He shared with family. He shared with doctors. He shared with nurses. His coming death had become his greatest motivator to share Jesus since he had never done it his entire life. They then said, our dad began giving away as much of his fortune as he could. It says he even got frustrated that he couldn't give away some of his money that he had locked up in trusts. 
And to get to that money would require lawyers and meetings and all these things. And he couldn't quickly get to some of the money that he had because he had gone to such great lengths to secure his money and save it for the future. A future he realized would be cut off much sooner than he ever thought. Isn't that amazing? Like you think about our culture today. You think about being wealthy and having all this money and living in a mansion on acres of land. And the minute you find out that you've got an illness that is not going to keep you on this planet, that fortune, that money that you've kept saved up in trust, you just start giving it away. And you get mad that you can't give it away. Imagine spending 70 years of your life and your goal is to secure your money as well as you can. And then when you find out you're dying, you can't even give it away to bless people. He couldn't give some of it away. The pastor asked him this last question. He said, did your dad say anything else to you in his last days? Did he have any other encouragements or exhortations or anything else to share with you? And their sons, both of them paused for a minute. And then at the very same moment, they said the same thing. Two words. You ready? They said, don't wait. At the same time, don't wait. The pastor looked confused. The son said, he told us, don't wait like he did. Don't wait to live for God. Don't wait to tell people about Jesus. Don't wait. Do it today. And it gave me chills to think that a man who had an estate, millions of dollars, tons of accomplishments, at the end of his life would say, I didn't really live. I didn't really live. And that his final exhortation with his sons would be, don't wait to truly live. And you're sitting there, you imagine his sons looking at their dad who has this land and this influence and this money and this popularity. And, and he's saying, I didn't live. Go live now. Because the truth is, you are not truly living until you are living for Jesus you are not truly alive until you have been made new in Christ and living for him every day. College students, I'm telling you, there are dozens, dozens, hundreds. We can't count the testimonies of people who have gotten to the end of their life and they missed it. They had so much religion. They had so much of this world. And they get to the end of their life and they're saying, I never truly lived because I didn't live for Jesus. The average human life is 78 years old. That's if nothing bad happens to you. How fast does that go by? In the snap of a finger, 78 years old, if nothing bad happens, it's just the average life in America, your life and my life is short. Let me ask you, are you truly living? Like, are you living the life that God has for you to live? <laughs> I'm not saying problems don't come up. When you live for God, sometimes more problems come up, but it's in those trials that you still have joy. Like if you look at your life and the way you function and the words you say and the way you treat people and the priorities that you have in your schedule, like is that what God would tell you is a successful life? Because going, going through the motions is not a successful life. Judging people and not being kind to them is not a successful godly life. And yet so many of us miss it in our 20s and we look back and we wish I had sold out for God, that I had given God everything, that I had given God all of my words and the way I talked about people. That I'd given God all of my schedule, that my week by week was planned by God and not by me. That my money wasn't used for me. The trust in the end failed him. The way he secured his money in the end failed him. And yet what could God have done with his money if he had stored up treasures in heaven and not treasures on this earth? Don't wait. 
College students, are you truly living? Because if you don't make the choice to sell out for God and to say, my yes is on the table, God has every part of my life, if you don't make that decision, nobody's going to make it for you. You have one life. 78 years is the average if nothing bad happens. You and I literally don't know if we will make it home tonight. We don't know. Nobody can tell you, you will make it home tonight. I'm not trying to scare you, but understand that's the reality. We don't have today promise, yet we live like we have this whole life ahead of us where we can just make whatever decisions we want. No, hear me. Your decisions are best made when they are made by the Lord. That's regret number one. That we would ask God the prayer that David prays. That we would ask him to number our days, make us aware of the short existence we have on this planet so that we might give it all to you. College students, are you truly living for God? I'll give you this last quote and then I'll give you number two. Tim Keller had an amazing quote. He said, this worry is not believing God will get it right. And bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Tim Keller said, worry is not believing that God will get it right. And bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Let me give you regret number two. Regret number two is I can't get the time I wasted back. I can't get the time that I wasted back. So number one, are we truly pursuing the Lord and are we pursuing the heart of God? Number two, your time is never going up. It is only running down. Time is a precious gift from the Lord. That if you have time, it is the best thing you have on your side besides Jesus. If you have time, the time is a gift. You see, time can give you the opportunity to earn money to bless others, but money can give you no more time. Time can give you the opportunity to go meet loved ones, but your loved ones cannot give you any more of your time on your life bank. Worry even tells us that when we worry, we take years off of our life due to the stress and the anxiousness of worrying that time cannot be replaced. Time cannot be purchased. How do you use your time effectively? I love Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. That's Romans 12, verse 1, if you're writing that reference down. I love this verse in Acts 20. This is verse 35, towards the middle of Acts. It says, in every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this, And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That quite literally, you are more blessed to give God your time and your service, your thoughts, your prayers, your worship, than anything that anybody could give you. That you are more blessed to give to others than to receive from them. And then... 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. College students, one thing you do have 
<laughs> if you don't have money, you don't have answers for your life, even if you don't have a lot of friends, even if you don't have a lot of resources, the one thing that you do have, barring something unfortunate or tragic happening in your life, is you have time. That the best blessing God has given you is the breath in your lungs. Yet too often we don't use the breath in our lungs to be thankful for it. We use our breath to complain. Tony Evans said one time, he said, when you're complaining is at an all-time high, there's a chance your worship is at an all-time low. That too often we are not even grateful for the time that we have been given. Man, don't waste it. As I think back about my family, I think about my mom, my dad, my sister. I think about the vacations we had. I think about the time living in my house with them. As I think about the times with my family, the thing that you can never get back is those times that you have. And they pass so quickly. Man, some of you, your goal is just to get through Thanksgiving. It's just to get back to your routine, get back to your schedule. I mean, I want to tell you, you're gonna, if you go in with that mindset, you're going to miss a lot of what God has for you this week with your family. If you go into it that mindset, you're going to miss a lot that God has for you this week. Time. It's a precious gift. It's the one thing people want that they can't get when they're on their deathbed is more time. Are you grateful for it? Are you thankful tonight? Man, I'm truly at a point in my life where there are times it just hits me where I try to just sit still and be thankful for right where I am because I realize I was never guaranteed to get there anyway. There are sermons I've taken for granted over the years that I think about and say, man, I was not grateful or thankful for that opportunity I had that night to preach the word. There's times with my family that I look back on and I realize I took so for granted. Man, for you, as you look at your schedule, as you look at your week, as you look at your time, if, if you find yourself wasting time, and only you know that, you know where your time is going, if you find yourself wasting time, you can never get it back. And that's one thing that Tom Horton told me before he passed away so many times when I would meet with him. And you never listen when you're young. You never listen when you're in your 20s. You don't buy it. You don't believe it. I don't know. I don't believe it now. I still don't get it in my core. But he would tell me all the time, to enjoy every moment and be thankful for everything you have. He would tell me, don't sit and dwell on what you don't have. Don't sit and compare on what somebody else's, uh, else has because you're missing what God has blessed you with right now. Comparison is the great thief of our joy today. We compare what others have to what we have, and it robs us of all the joy and peace that we have in our lives because we covet what somebody else has. And there's always something else. Look at our marketing there's always another iPhone. There's always another MacBook. There's always another season of a show. There's always something next to get to. There's always an upgrade. And in our culture in America, we struggle so bad with being thankful. Is that you? Some of you, I can hear you tonight in your mind and in your heart saying, man, I am a thankful person. This isn't for me. And that's good if you feel that way. Praise the Lord. But I'll challenge you because the enemy is like a thief in the night and he creeps in very, very creatively. And in some ways he attacks us in ways we don't realize he is. And one of the biggest ones is pride. 
thinking that we have tomorrow to do what God has given us for today. Look with me back at Psalm 39. Verse 7. Now, Lord, what do I hope for? What do I wait for? My hope is in you. Regret number three is this. I took my family and loved ones for granted. I took my family and my loved ones for granted. What kind of home life do you come from? You got Christian parents? Praise the Lord. When's the last time you thank God that you got to grow up in a, in a Christian home? For real. If you have two parents who are Christians, when's the last time you thank God that you got to grow up in a home where two people knew the Lord? I'm not saying they were perfect. Ain't nobody is. But when's the last time you sat down and told God, God, thank you for allowing me to have two parents who are Christians? If your parents don't know the Lord, when is the last time you st stood in the gap and prayed for their salvation? If it was today, praise the Lord. If it's been a while, you and I got some work to do. What's your home life like? Your parents, mentors, whoever raised you, uncles, aunts, siblings, mentors, coaches, who is it for you? You only get one family that you're born into. And for some of us, we don't see God moving in our families at all. And one of the reasons is we're not willing to let him move us within our family. For some of us, God wants us to be the glove, and we just won't let him wear us. We just won't let him use us in our family. And that's the reason we don't see him moving is because we won't let him be the one to move through us. Man, I want to tell you something that somebody told me who's much older than I am. He said, you're going to miss your parents when they're gone. Even if they weren't always the best to you, you're going to miss them when they're gone. Grandparents, in our 20s, we get so busy ripping and running, doing our thing, doing our schedules around our friends all the time and around our work all the time, and we miss the chance we have to minister to our family. God placed you right there with them for a reason. I love these verses. They're convicting out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. It says this, an exhortation on how to live. Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you might inherit a blessing. See, the way to inherit a blessing is to first be a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. How do you talk about your family when they're not around? Look, you want to live a long life? Keep your tongue from evil. You want to live a short life? Speak evil. Woo, these verses are chilling. They convict me. It haunts me. Does it convict you? How you talk to your mom and dad can determine the length of your life. How you talk to other people, how you love one another, the compassion you show, the words that exit your mouth impact everything around you. And God says, if you don't control them, you are a senseless, wandering person who is not living in obedience to me if you cannot control your tongue. Man, your words. That our words can either be a tool that we use to build other people up or our words are a torch that we use to burn people down. And too many of us in this room who call ourselves Christian use our words to turn and burn people down. Woo! 
And so what Peter says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. That when you go back to your family, when you go back to your mom and your dad and your siblings, you have a chance to use your words to encourage them in a way they might not get in any other area of their life. For a lot of our parents, they come from a different generation. A lot of our parents don't have as many friends as we do. I'm willing to bet that you probably receive a lot more encouragement from your friends than your parents do. Maybe I'm wrong. My grandmother was in a nursing home. She had friends like crazy. My grandmother was thriving. She would go on walks every morning. They would encourage each other. They'd hype each other up. It was amazing. She had more friends than I did. But, man, there's a chance your parents might not get any other encouragement the rest of the year if you're not the one to do it. When you go back to your parents' home or your aunt and uncle's home or whoever raised you, wherever you go back, as you go back there, is there a physical need they are struggling to meet that you could come in and help with? Every time I go to my mom and dad's house, I see something else they're working on that they're too old to be working on. And I'm not the only one. And sometimes an act of service is something we could do to bless our loved ones. Man, I'm telling you, it sounds practical for a reason. We go into the holidays and we often miss God's heart in the holidays. What's the point of having Thanksgiving if we're not thankful? I hear you. Some of you would say, my family hasn't been good to me. My family's met me with evil. I understand that. If you're going to meet evil back to them, that's not what Christ has called you to do. We just read, he says, don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Instead, give a blessing. Man, I know that's hard. I don't know what kind of home life you're heading back to. But understand, if you know Jesus, give a blessing. It's going to be hard. But you know what hurts more is holding on to unforgiveness because that blade keeps cutting you deeper and deeper. Your family, your loved ones, your friends, they have emotional needs. Can you meet them? Can you listen to a brother or sister in Christ who has a need this week? They have physical needs. Can you help them? They have spiritual needs. Can you tell them about what Jesus is doing in your heart as hard as it is? Peter goes on to say this, verse 11. Let them turn away from evil and do what is good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Please, I'm, I'm imploring you, I'm exhorting you what I'm exhorting myself to do with my family and my loved ones. Don't save the words of encouragement for tomorrow. Give them today. You're not promised today. You have now. For some of you, Thursday, when you're around family, it's going to be so hard for you to be vulnerable and open up and say something that is not politics, because that's what our families talk about a lot, to say something that's not just about the food, to talk about more than the weather. That understand, God has placed you there to talk about the things of above that can you have a moment where you talk about God, about your heart, about your journey. I guarantee you, your family will be blessed by it. The last thing I can implore you to do, based on what we talked about two weeks ago, is that for some of you, as you go into Thanksgiving, it is very hard for you to be thankful because you still are not right with everyone in your life. 
if there is for you conflict, hurt, pain, unforgiveness in your heart, can you let go of that and be thankful to the Lord? I think about the words of that man who was on his deathbed when he said, don't wait. You have no idea when it is your last time to see somebody. We cannot be so foolish and so prideful to think we have forever on this earth. Don't wait. Pursue the heart of God. Don't waste the precious time he's given you. And do not take for granted the blessings, opportunities, and most of all, do not take for granted the friends that he's given you, the people who are in this room, and your family, and your parents, and your loved ones. You will never regret being thankful, but you will always regret taking for granted the blessings of God.